Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our living hope. And Lord, as we think about the good news of the gospel, lives set free, we know that as believers, there's many times that you open doors for us to share the gospel. Sometimes we're embarrassed to say we don't walk through those doors, but other times we do. And but really, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about um, your death, your burial, your resurrection, Jesus Christ. And, and you are the living hope. And we thank you that we do serve a living Savior. We pray, Father, now that as we look at your word, you would take that and it would provide living hope for us as believers as we desire uh, to walk with you to bring uh, glory to your name. So just use this time as we worship you by looking at your word together. In Christ's name, amen. We're in Acts chapter 20, and this will be our last study here in Acts 20. Jonathan's going to pick up on the prayers of Paul next Sunday. Um, and as I mentioned the first week, really, I, I was devotionally going through the book of Acts. And so <laughs> and I got to chapter 20 and started thinking about the church of Ephesus and all that was going on and, and just, I guess, not realizing what a horrible area it was and how difficult things were um, for them. And, and because of that, I just began to look more and more into this section of Scripture. I think you could do that with anywhere within the book of Acts because the book of Acts covers a huge um, period of time with the church, and a lot of the letters are tied in with that. And so it's kind of an interesting study. And as you kind of learn from Linton, there's really no end to you can jump off at any point, you know, and, and find a passage of scripture to go to. And so, but we'll look again, we'll read uh, chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, and then we'll, we'll finish up. In particular tonight, Paul is giving commands to the elders. He's been talking about examples, but he's giving commands. And see if you can grab them as we read through this. Acts 20, verse 17 and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. I should not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, now bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And behold, now I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage woods will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own sows, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So that's the passage, and we're just pulling a, a section out tonight. Uh, we've spent two weeks looking at the examples and qualities that, that Paul was reflecting on, qualities that he had set down with his own life. And, and we know, I mean, the whole section he is talking, he's addressing the elders. But, you know, Paul didn't do very many things privately. He, even the house-to-house ministry he's talking about, the people followed him all over the place. And so it was very public. So this example, these examples that we've been looking at are something that countless people saw. They witnessed, they, they watched that take place. Some of the men that Paul's probably talking to right now at one time hated him, were probably part of the group that wanted to kill him, which happened quite often in his life. And they've, and they've come to faith in Christ. And so he's reflecting on these qualities. We know that he's addressing the elders but we saw these qualities really are, are good qualities for all of us as believers to consider being a part of our lives as, as how we live and how we live out our Christian life in whatever setting the Lord puts us at. And so, I mean, really, whatever your job is, even if you're retired, I don't know really know what that looks like because really most retired people are pretty busy, right? But everything you do, you're a Christian you know, running a machine shop. You're, I mean, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. So our focus tonight is, is fine-tuned towards the elders themselves. In the midst of reflecting how he's handled himself while living and serving in Ephesus and the surrounding area, he issues some direct orders to these elders themselves. And you might be tempted to say, maybe you read scripture this way. I'm not an elder. So why would this matter to me? Can't we just skip over this part? You ever get to scripture like that and say, doesn't apply to me? Or you read scripture, and I love to say, we love to apply the truth of God's word to the lives of other people, right? Oh, well, yeah, Linton really needs this one. You know what I mean? We, we do that. So you get to scripture, and you get to a part, and you'll think, well, doesn't really fit where I'm at. By the way, that'd be a poor way to read the Bible, wouldn't it? I mean, just think about, you know, Somebody told me when I, at our last church at 10 Mile in uh, Meridian, Idaho, said, you, you bring up the gospel every week. I said, 
You can't go to the Bible without bringing up the gospel. It's everywhere you go. Everywhere. It's all, it's all either pointing towards Christ or back to what he's done or how he's going to help you live the life. So Romans 15.4 says, But whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So it says, whatever was written, or we might say, everything that was written in the scriptures was written for our instruction. So you can't just read a passage of scripture and say that doesn't apply. It, it, actually, it actually does. And then we looked at least last week, maybe the week before, to 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And remember, I told you I wrote in the margins of my Bible, everything God wants us to be can be found and accomplished by scripture. Everything, you know. And I mentioned, I had somebody tell me that, well, you know, scripture doesn't cover every issue that we go through. And, and I said, well, it, it may not cover how to change a tire, but it sure can cover the attitude that you go about changing the tire with, right? When you find out your spare is flat as well. So, you know, it's all there. So it's all important to our lives. Just as a question, can you think of some reasons why understanding what God's commands are or orders for elders might be helpful for you personally? Any, any thoughts on that? Protect you from corruption in your life. Okay. Okay, in regards to? Any time that the uh, old sin nature is in control, you're, you're doing damage to yourself and the people around you. Yeah, okay, right. Other thoughts about why well, I have any knowledge about what his orders to elders are might be helpful to you. Everyone's a witness to somebody. Okay, they are, absolutely. If you go to a Volkswagen mechanic, like Leonard, you know, the guy has a sign up the thing and, and he has, you know, works on VWs. And so you bring your Beetle in there, you know, or, or your bus, I have both of them, and you start talking to him about the Volkswagen, you know, about adjusting the points or the valves or, you know, and, and you, you talk with the guy for five minutes, and you, he has no idea. He doesn't know anything about Volkswagens, like at all. I mean, you know more, and you've brought it. to he's got, he's got the sign, right? An elder could have a sign, you know, could have a title. I had a guy tell me years ago, it was our first ministry in Colorado, that he wouldn't be an elder because when he was growing up, he had such a bad experience with what, the elders in this church were like, I'm never going to have that title. I looked at him and said, you're an elder in this church whether you want to be or not because you're a godly man. You're meeting these qualifications. And so there are some good reasons for us to know uh, both whether that, that's a position that we're in or what somebody else might be in. Again, it to not be understood, all of the qualities that we've looked at, he's speaking to the elders about that. But in tonight's thing, we're, we're looking at direct instructions that he gives to these elders. They, it moves beyond a basic example. So we're going to mainly be looking at verses 28 through 32. 28, he says, Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage woods will come in among you. And that's the section we're on. And the, again, Paul's moving from qualities he's laid down in the ministry to direct orders. And the first order he gives them is, is to guard. It's to guard. Now, you have different translations here, so not all of yours. The New American Standard says, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock. The English Standard Version says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. The NIV says, keep watch over yourself and all the flock. It's all, all basically trying to capture the same, the same idea, to be on guard or to pay attention or to keep watch. It comes from one Greek word, in which we need a phrase to translate. And that's pretty normal with, from the Greek to the English language. You'll, you'll have a Greek word, and you can say it to, in a sentence with the Greek, and they're going, oh, yeah, but we need, you know, three words to, to grab that, and that's the case here. So the, the be on guard, that's one word, or the pay careful attention, that's one, one Greek word, the translation of one. Personally, it, it would involve careful, cautious, deliberate direction in life. It was used in a nautical term, for a sailor who was to bring the ship in a particular direction and safely to port. So that's, a, that, that's that word that was used. And see, it can be used in other, other terms. I just thought that was one of the best pictures of talking to the elders. You bring that ship safely to port. Now, that's in fair waters or stormy waters, right? Bring the ship in. You know, and, and so to the elders, he's saying, you, you look at these lives of these people that you care for, that God has placed under you, bring them safely to shore. Now realize this, it's, the elder doesn't have any special abilities except for what's given him from God. Ultimately, we're dependent on who to do that. The Lord, right? I mean, we're, we want to provide good direction, but we know that it's the Lord that's going to do that. But this is... This is a heavy responsibility. This isn't optional. Paul's not saying if you want to, you know. He has called these guys to travel all the way from Ephesus uh, to Miletus to say, here's what I'm commissioning you to do. I've, I've got these believers, these believers that are under you, bring them in. And bring them in safely. So um, it's more than just protection. It involves clear direction. When the storms rage, how important is it to remain on course? You know, honestly, don't, sometimes when there's storms in your life, it's good just to stop and think, oh, now, now where, where was I headed here? What's the direction? What's the goal that I'm headed in at this point? And so um, what is this protective direction? Where does it come from? I think it's pretty interesting. You, you just look at the context. In verse uh, 32, it's tied into the word of his grace. Verse 24 calls it the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 27 says the whole purpose of God. They're, they're speaking the same thing, and, and we'll actually come back to this later on. But verse 24 asks me, 2024, but I do not consider my life of any account dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the grace of God. Paul's not saying, I could care less about my life. Paul's saying, the gospel is more important than my life. Verse 27, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. 
Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So with this word of grace, they are told first to guard yourself. Guard yourself. Personal holiness comes from welding the sword of the Spirit in your own life, the word of God to slaughter the enemy within so that you can be built up in your inner soul by his word, by the word of grace. It's, it's speaking of being right with God. Maintain the right relationship with God. And now you realize these elders, they're holding each other accountable. I, I, I realize that. But there's a personal setting to this, really for all believers. Pastor Linton cannot make you walk with Christ. He can provide direction. He can lay the food out on the table. He can feed you Sunday in and Sunday out. But, you know, you're dependent upon surrendering to the Lord and applying those truths. And from the elder standpoint, they were to guard themselves first. Guard yourself. I think it's important that Paul says that. Take care of things at home first. And, And then he says, guard the flock. It is forever the job of the elder to provide protection and direction to the flock with the word of God forever. It's just, I would say in the churches I pastored, if I stop preaching the word of God, you get me out of here. You can physically come up here and get me out of there. I told him, I'm hoping you don't put me on the hospital on the way. But really, if I stop preaching the word of God, that's what you should do. Put me in the same asylum or something. I don't know. Protection and direction. The goal of the believer cannot be just to make it through the day. Though there are days like that, right? I mean, there are days when you think, if I can just make it through this day. But the goal of the believer is a lifelong focus on the prize. It's remembering what's important to us. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. We'll do some cross-references here. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And some of you are thinking, yeah, this, it is a really good passage to go to. Keep your eye on the prize. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's write books about the cloud of witnesses. Let's focus on them. Let's make that our pinpoint, you know. It's so interesting because, I mean, Hebrews 11 is an amazing chapter, right? The heroes of God's faithfulness or the heroes of a faithful God. They're not to be the focus. In fact, when you're reading through the heroes of the faith, as a lot of people title it, I like the heroes of God's faithfulness, some of those guys you're reading about going, how did they get in here? You know, they don't deserve to be, I've read about, I mean, God's word's pretty honest. I've read about some of the stuff these people do. It's just like when we get to heaven and all of the wood, hay, and stubble has been burnt away and only the glory of Christ is seen. And so Hebrews 11 is written from that perspective. Well, sure they are, because all that was left was Christ, you know? So since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have one of those days? What should you do? Fix your eyes on Jesus, who also suffered so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Philippians chapter 3, you can flip there as well. Some of your Bibles will have the title for Philippians chapter 3, The Goal of Life. It's one of those passages, I mean, you could just start in verse 1 and kind of read all the way through. We're, we're only going to look at a portion of it. But Philippians chapter 3 goes from goal to goal to goal. But uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, we'll look at. Philippians 3, verse 12, Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The right focus. That's the right focus. If an elder is going to guard themselves personally or guard their flock, it's because their focus is going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, the second direction given to the elders or instruction to the elders of Ephesus is over is oversee. Again, your different different translations you have are going to word it differently. Acts 20 verse 28 says, "Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers." The Holy Spirit made you overseers. So, who's picking these guys? The Holy Spirit, sounds like, right? Really, the task of the church, of leadership of the church, is to be sensitive to the Spirit of God setting these men aside for this position, the Holy Spirit. Now, the overseers or, or bishops, uh, episcopos, elders, it carries the idea of having instructional authority when guarding the flock. Think of, uh, of a dad that says, stop, there's authority, you know, that comes along with that. And so they are to be concerned about it. And it goes into the next one, which is going to be, is going to be shepherd, but where they eat and what they eat, uh, protecting them from enemies within and enemies without. That'll be another thing we look at in a little bit. It goes hand in hand with the third one, which is to the elders, which is to shepherd, to, to feed, uh, to find pasture, to nourish Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I, set, I separate these out because they're, they're separate words, the word overseer and the word shepherd. The task is much the same. We are under shepherds, so anybody that's in that type of position is an under shepherd to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. You know, he is the one that laid down his life. And let's look at some passages. Let's go back to John chapter 10. It's certainly a theme that Jesus carried throughout his ministry. John chapter 10. And look at a verse beginning with verse 7. John 10 verse 7. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Pastor Linton's been talking about that, right? I am. They're very offended by this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for a sheep. He was hiring and is not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep. Beholds a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them. We're, that's in our passage of scripture, right? I know that after I depart, savage wolves are coming, you know. He flees because he's a hireling. He's not concerned for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And Jesus just continues on. So we are under shepherds. He is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And then turn in John over to chapter 21. And 21, we'll look at verses 15 through 17. This is after the resurrection. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember Jesus and Simon had that discussion when before the crucifixion, and Jesus says, you're all going to betray me. And Peter goes, I don't care if every one of these guys do. I'm not going to. And then you know the story. Three times Peter denies Jesus. So this is a picture. It's a follow-up from that. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said uh, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, they're using different words for love. Here, you can look that up for yourself. He said to them, tend my lambs, okay, right? Verse 16, and he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. See a theme here? This is a theme that God is going to hand down to his under shepherds to this very day. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. This is what is commissioned to be done by them. Under shepherd, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a loaded phrase, and you have it in your outline. First, it speaks of the deity of Christ, God's church. It's God's church. Second, it speaks of the ownership of Christ, purchased with his own blood. And third, it speaks of leadership responsibility, caring for someone else's flock, you are to shepherd his church. It's the Lord Jesus' sheep that you're, that you're taking care of. I know that after my departure, verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own sows will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. The fourth direction, instruction to the elders is, is to watch. To be alert or be on the alert is the phrase that he uses. Now, if I were to say to you uh, tonight, 
when you're asleep, someone's going to sneak into your house and is going to take away all the most precious things in your life from you. What would you do? Tonight, when you're asleep, somebody's going to sneak into your house and they're going to take away everything that's precious to you. What would you do? You're not going to go to sleep, right? And what would you do? I mean, ready. Get out the weapons, you know. You're not, you're not going to say, well, let me go to sleep and rest on this. You know, I mean, really, you're not going to do that. First, you're going to bring everything precious to you and put it in a room with you with only one opening. And you're at the opening. And I'm not talking about, you, you might bring your favorite gun just for protection, right? What's most precious to you? It's, it's going to be your kids. It's going to be your pe people. It's going to be your family. It's going to be your spouse. You're not going to start digging through, oh, I have those pictures from 1968 that we never put in the photo album. i got to find those. What if he would take those? Who cares? Really, those are not the things that are important. So first, you bring everything that's precious, you put it in a room behind you, and there, there's only one opening in the room, and you're the door, and you're there. And the second thing is, you are going to stay awake all night long. You, you're going to be drinking coffee, you're going to be slapping yourself, you're going to be eating ice cubes, you're going to be thinking to yourself, not on my watch, you know? Fair warning. The Legacy Standard uh, Version, which is a new translation, I really like it, says, therefore, be watchful. You know, he's, he is giving them a prophetic warning. They are coming. They are coming. Put everything precious to you behind you and guard them, which we looked at already. The fifth instruction to the elders of Ephesus was, it's a warning, okay? Warn them. And actually, I think it's, you know, of course, we know Paul is warning them. In fact, he reminds that he warned them for three years, he warned them while he was with them to tears. He says that. I admonished you to tears. I was warning you the whole time. I was telling you, these things are coming. And I'm telling you one more time, they are coming, you are warned. So it's one thing for me to say to you tonight, someone is going to come into your house and take everything precious to you. But it would be another thing for me to say to you, and you won't be there. You can't be there. That's the position Paul's in. Savage wolves are coming. And I can't be there. God will not let me be there. I, I'm not going to be in a position to do anything about that. I mean, if you knew that was somebody was going to come and take everything precious to you, and you couldn't be there, what would you do? I mean, honestly, what would you do? It's tonight, it's happening. You know what? I'm going to get the... Now, we're thinking of physical, okay? I'm going to get the biggest, meanest dudes I know, you know, with the most weapons. And I'm going to have them there. From the standpoint of scripturally is, you know what? I want to get, I want to get my family with the most knowledgeable spiritual people around. I want... Paul, could you come back? You know? I mean, I want to put the right people there at that time honestly i don't think we realize how serious our position is as christians as christian parents or as leaders in the church 
Paul said, savage wolves are coming. This is not like maybe they will, maybe they won't. They are coming. And so you'd prepare your family. You'd say, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you the warning. I'm going to tell you what to look for. The scripture gives us a lot of things. Look for this. Look for that. You know, it's kind of like raising a kid. When, when somebody does this and then they're doing that, you know what? Don't hang with them. So you're going to be doing that. And this is what Paul's doing with the elders. He's trying to prepare them. He's trying to get, you know, get your ducks in order. Get all these things ready for that. Uh, but the need of warning grows even greater. He says, I, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And if from your own sows, men will rise and speaking perverse, that's what the numeric standard says. It actually means somebody who will distort or twist the truth. Sounds like pulpit in a lot of churches today. They're going to come and they're going to distort the truth. They're going to twist the truth. They're going to tell people what they want to hear. And then it says things to draw them away. It's, it's great. The picture here is great because to draw, to draw away means literally to tear or to drag away. It sounds like a wolf, doesn't it? You know, and that's this picture, the disciples. The, the two phrases, savage wolves will come in. Savage wolves will come in. So he knows this is going to happen. From among and from among your own self, men will rise. There's two problems here, isn't there? So I've told you somebody's going to come into your house tonight and take away the things that are most precious to you. But what if I was to say, and they're already in your house? Paul's saying, this is serious. This calls for real serious reflection. From the outside, they're going to come. But also from the inside. And certainly we've, we've seen that. And I mean, it, it becomes heavy. It becomes overwhelming at times. And it, it really is overwhelming. You know, when, Christ, when God has you overwhelmed, he has you right where he wants you to be because you have to rely upon him. God, this is beyond me. You know, think about You just dropped Jacob off at school. Who is going to protect that kid? I mean, I know he can do pretty good on his own, right? But I mean, every parent has a little bit of thought about that. You know, I mean, send your kid to kindergarten. You're going, you hope, I hope they're nice to him, you know. So it's, it's a heavy position, and there's warnings. And so that's just a, a lot of our lives. In fact, I think, you know, when the world starts saying, don't worry about it, don't, it's not a problem. When the church stops giving warnings, find another church, you know. Those warnings are there. The, the next one is position. Verse 32, Paul says to them, I commend you to God. This is a loaded statement. <laughs> commend, the word commend means to be deposited into somebody's care. It's kind of cool to think about, right? I am depositing you in the care of who? He's talking to the elders. I deposit you into the care of God. Now, that's a good heavenly banker, right? I commend you to God. I deposit you into his care. It may have been Paul's task to prepare these men, but it was, it may have been his task to prepare these men, 
but was it within Paul's ability to protect these men? It wasn't. He's leaving, and he knows that's the same with these elders, you know. They can warn the flock, they can, you know, but they're in a position where they commend them to God. So what does Paul do when he knows he can't protect them? He just says, I deposit in God's care. God can take care of you. When our youngest son went through a divorce, and, and I've used this as an illustration before, I, I think probably at Blaine, but um, the one night that he called, and he was just so despairing, you know. And he called one night, and he said, Dad, just, you know, we talked for a bit, and Zach was always, a, you know, it's a fast phone call. He gets to the point and gets off the phone until this time, and it never has changed since then, so they're all long calls now. But he goes, Dad, yeah, he's, we talked for a bit, and I said, well, it's good to, you know, visit your son. Let me pray with you. And he said, Dad, Dad, don't hang up the phone. What? Don't hang up the phone. I just have to know there's somebody for me. Can you just can you just stay on the phone? I laid on the floor with my phone that's the back in the old cell phone days, plugged in to the wall all night long. Every once in a while, Zach would go, Dad, Dad, yeah, just just want to make sure you're there. The the next day, I called Zach up and said, Zach, I gotta tell you something. I would love to tell you I can always be with you. I'm always could take care of you, you know. If you're hurting, man, I'm going to be here for you no matter what. Because that's what the movies always say, right? So I said, Zach, I can't tell you that. I have no guarantee. But I know one who can. And so I deposit you into the care of God. He can do this. And so you may not be able to reach me, son, but you can reach God at any time. The last one, and I thought about using either the word possession. I'm using the word study instead. He says in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. He says, I deposit you to God and I deposit the word of his grace to you. I give it to you. I put it in your deposit. You have been deposited in the hands of Almighty God, he says to the elders, and now I give the word of God and I place that in a deposit for you to invest. It's not like I, I had a friend one time um, that said my dad never has to worry about whether his, where his Bible is when he shows up for church on Sunday morning. And I said, why? Because it's on the dash of his car right where he left it when he went to church last Sunday. That's not a very good investment. We don't want to handle things that way. So it's a possession that we have. I mean, aren't we privileged? Look at, I mean, some of you have Bible, some of you have cell phones. I mean, how many translations of scripture do you have? It can almost be mind-boggling sometimes because there's, there's translations and then there are paraphrases. Be careful with the paraphrases because they get really wacko sometimes, you know. You, think, you read a paraphrase and you're going, where in the world did they, they you know, they must have eaten something bad for dinner or whatever. So, but the word of God, we have it accessible, you know, to us in, in our country. I mean, we're, there are other parts of the world where they have one page of scripture. I have a lot of Bibles in my house and on my phone and on my 
iPad, you know, on my computer. I deposit you to God and I deposit the word of his grace to you. And he says the word of God is able to do three things. First, it is able to build you up. And he's speaking to the elders. So he says this will build you up. In second, it will give you an inheritance. And the third thing he says, it will place you in amazing company. And that's where it says the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, edify you, strengthen you, and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, that's an amazing company of people, isn't it? That's who we're with tonight, right? The saints, the sanctified ones that God has allowed us to be together with. I was listening to a podcast week before last, and one of the phrases they were using, they were talking about the how many people are de-churched now. So there's people that are deconstructing their faith, but there's also a lot of people that are just de-churched. COVID didn't help, but it was already happening where people would say they, they make a profession of faith in Christ, yet yeah, he's my Lord and Savior, I trust. We have family members like this. They don't attend church anymore, you know. And so it's just interesting listening to that, that thought. I hadn't really thought of that phrase, de-churched, you know. Is that biblical? I mean, is it okay to be de-churched? It, it is not, right? You know, you can share me scriptures later on with that. If you de-church yourself, you take yourself away from an amazing company of people. I mean, you de-church yourself, and I say to you, somebody's going to come to your house tonight, and they're going to take away everything precious from you, but you can't be there. And you're going, oh, it would sure be nice to have a church family right now. You know what? When I'm going through times of difficulty, I got an amazing church family, you know? I can get a prayer request out there and having the whole Blaine family praying for me, you know, as soon as they read their emails, right? You know, or on a Sunday morning. It's just, it is an amazing thing. I was so proud of Dorothy this morning. I guess she was at church. We weren't there last Sunday. We, we, we didn't de-church, so we were over at PC. I just thought it was so neat. She comes in, and we both give her hugs, you know. It's just, that's the right thing to do. We had a friend that lost his wife, neat believer. He stopped attending church for two years. Keep yourself placed among an amazing company of people, the sanctified. So that's the study of Acts 20. A lot of good things in there for us personally. Also things for us to look for in the leaders that God has placed over us. So back to why is this important to us. It's good to have a measuring stick for the people that are in leadership over us are they people that are striving now nobody has arrived right except for the lord jesus christ but it is a good measuring stick for us to be able to look at the people that are serving us in that position let's pray lord thank you for your word and thank you for the living hope that we find in your word and for this this time that we've been able to spend in acts chapter 20 to be able to reflect on this uh this time when Paul was talking to the Ephesus elders and, and he's giving them hard news, Lord. The thing that struck them the most was they wouldn't see his face again. They had learned to rely upon him, but he was saying to them, I've deposited you in the care of God. 
and I have deposited a huge group of people in your care and the word of God. And he commissions them, Lord, to continue to be faithful in serving. We thank you, Father, for those people like that in our lives that instruct us from the word, that build us up, that provide protection and direction, that guard us, that shepherd our lives. We praise you for those people and use us as those type of instruments in the lives of others as well. Thank you again, Lord, for our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.